3D printing is not magic. It comes with a process. It comes with a learning curve. It comes with complexity. It comes with a lot of things that sometimes we tend to overlook. 3D printing could be a way to make spare parts available again. That is the premise that 3D printing could come into the game like that and generate spare parts for people to be able to fix their products. Welcome to Restart Radio. I'm Dave Pickering and I make a monthly podcast for the Restart Project. The Restart Project is a London-based charity and social enterprise whose mission is to spark reflection and change in our relationship with gadgets. In order to repair our devices and build a more sustainable electronics industry, we need spare parts. But those spare parts aren't always easy to find and can be difficult to access for numerous reasons. In this month's episode of the Restart Podcast, I talk to Bas Flips and Julieta Balanios Areola from Delft University of Technology in the Netherlands about the landscape of 3D printing today. We hear their experience of pushing the boundaries of this technology and how 3D printing can help to reduce this lack of spare parts and inspire communities to repair more. My name is Bas Flips. I'm a senior lecturer at the Delft University of Technology. I've been an eco-designer since the 90s already. So I try to design products which are environmentally friendly. And since uh, maybe 10 years already, we are focusing more on the circular economy. I worked for iFixit for a couple of years to work on a repairability scoring system where we try to assess products actually on repairability. And that really triggers me that because I think products should be designed for improved repair, maintenance, but also for refurbishment, remanufacturing, all the different loops, extending loops in the circular economy. And that's my main focus. We make tools to assess products. That's what we're currently doing downstairs in the studios, where students actually open up products and read products on their difficulties and their hiccups they come across when disassembling it and actually make it difficult to repair it. That's what we do. And together with Julieta and two other partners, we started up a 3D printing for repair. I'm Julieta Bolaños Arriola. I'm originally from Mexico City, but I ended up doing my studies here in the Netherlands. I have a background in industrial design and most of professional work and research has been related to the circular economy and designing products for this regular economy and I've been mostly focusing on assessing repairability of products and how to improve products for them to be repaired by citizens etc. I'm a researcher currently for the Share Repair Project, a project that is linked to this right to repair movement. Now we're trying to provide a bunch of digital tools in order to support citizens in doing repair themselves. So that could be a bunch of repair information like a repair manual, service manuals, etc. But also now 3D printable spare parts could be a possibility. We reached out to Bas and Julieta because the Restart Project and TU Delft are both project partners of Share Repair, 
an EU-funded project that's helping to build a digital infrastructure in support of citizens in the repair economy. Uh, so, Bas, you've spoken about how the work that you do is partly inspired by an early interest in taking things apart. It started already when I was 12 years old, I think, Dave, when I really got to know my two uncles. One of them repaired musical instruments, but I was playing in a big symphonic orchestra. One of my uncles, he repaired all those instruments, so copper instruments, and he had a big shed where we repaired all kind of stuff. And he was one of the front-running makers, as we call it nowadays. But that was already back in the 80s, I think. And I was inspired by it because I like the workshop environment. I like to be there, work with tools, get my hands dirty. And another uncle of mine, he repaired only VCRs, television sets, and he just picked them up from uh, the waste uh, bins. And he repaired them and he gave them away to people uh, in his surroundings. And that was... I think that was my first contact with repair and my first contact with products and the technology behind it. And I think I made it into my job nowadays. I'm getting paid to tear stuff apart, which is really fun, Dave. But also with a certain goal of it, of course. I just don't want to tear products apart. I always call it to gently dismantle. We tear products apart to learn from them. So, Julieta, what was your uh, first kind of relationship to repair? My dad is one of those kind of men who does everything around the house. So if something breaks, he knows how to fix it. So call it plumbing, electrical installations, something broke in the house. So he would know how to fix it. And he would always somehow involve me. <laughs> in that process, we used to have a tool shop in the past. So suddenly I was in the tool shop helping my dad out doing inventories and whatnot. So I learned a lot about different kinds of tools and different types of connectors. So we would sell, I don't know, all kinds of screwdrivers, all kinds of wrenches. Now this interest of connecting product design to sustainability and sustainable development overall, well, it clicked a little bit there. So how do you construct products to work better with how we do things now just to improve the way we do things in general? And repairability was one of the first that came out and taking apart products is now in my daily basis work. Yeah, it's nice. It's nice to apply all of those things that my dad taught me in the past. <laughs> right. And I'm, and I'm sure both of you have kind of carried that early interest with you throughout your work. What is circular ready design i think for my point of view circular ready design is uh, products which are easy to disassemble and where materials are easy to separate for recycling purposes but also parts can be taken out very easily and i think in a sense it's all about the ease of disassembly so my main focus is ease of disassembly especially if you focus on the product architecture of products instead of all the other context related so like availability of a manual that's something which is very important for repairability, but not so much important for if you want to actually design a physical object. I'm just thinking about our students right now, how we're teaching them about circular product design. And we go all the way from like business models and how you can frame a whole business model for a company to become more circular, how that relates to their products, their services, the way they operate, and what kind of suppliers do they involve, et cetera, et cetera. So it becomes this big monster of uh, complexity. So you go all the way from the business model, all the way to the product and all the way to very specific details on how it should be disassembled. Can it be repaired? Can it be refurbished? Or can it be completely separated and recycled? There's different recycling capabilities or recycling technologies available or systems in place in different countries and in different areas around the world. So 
are those recycling decisions or design decisions for recycling in line with that context? So it's a whole <laughs> array of things. I think circular ready design should really look at all of those aspects and really look into the whole product life cycle and then really, really look into those tiny details in each one of the steps. And what tools or processes can we use to achieve circular ready design? We developed our in-house tools for that. It's uh, hotspot mapping and disassembly mapping. And I think it's based on disassembly trees. In a sense, it's how to build your product up until it's a product. But you can also imagine that taking things apart is also sort of like a route where it goes through. And uh, just by visualizing this route in a so-called disassembly map or disassembly tree, we can actually visualize the pain points. Where are the difficulties? And how difficult is it to disconnect, for instance, glued components to each other? And evaluating a product, a current product, on these uh, difficulties and all these hurdles you come across while disassembling, you can make an evolutionary redesign which has improved disassembly. I believe, truly believe that as a designer, we really have to assess more products and evaluate the current situation more before we can actually make redesign. There's so much design rules out there, how to design for disassembly and how to design for a circular economy. But I think they're quite holistic and sometimes very superficial and not always in place for all product categories. So certain product categories have more focus on this than other product categories. So I think learning by actually trying out or finding out in current situation, current product and product categories, you learn so much that will change your life as a designer. I love these conversations about the complexity of design and, uh, and making products. How can 3D printing help the issue of e-waste? There has been a lot of research done on what kind of electronic waste is out there. And there's also a lot of research on how one of the main reasons for repairs not to happen is the lack of spare parts. That's one of the main reasons people cannot repair their stuff. And this has been documented by a lot of repair communities across Europe and the UK. And these parts may be missing because, I don't know, the product is too old, so it's obsolete, or the spare parts were never available because the original manufacturer didn't want them to be available for whatever reason, or the spare part is too expensive, or you have to get it from a specific supplier all across the world, and then it takes days uh, to get here, etc., etc. So 3D printing could be a way to make those spare parts available again. That is the premise that 3D printing could come into the game like that and generate spare parts for people to really be able to fix their products. So everybody's talking about why not print this part? But it's often not a copy-paste of what's currently the injection molded part. You can copy-paste it into a 3D printable part, but then again, it will maybe only function for one or two minutes if you look at gears, for instance. But all those small parts, they are very important for the longevity of products. So if a small part's like a gear breaks, the printer is dead. And currently, we just throw it away. And that really struck me that a simple part, like a plastic gear, could destroy a complete product. And I think that's that's something which we try to research within this project and find out if we might even be able to 
design uh, 3D printable versions of that. What about the materials used in 3D printing? Does that have an effect on on cutting down e-waste? Yeah, for sure. This project is really focusing on using 3D printing technologies and materials that are very easily available. There's all kinds of possibilities. Now you can 3D print uh, wood and now you can 3D print metals and now you can 3D print electronics and all kinds of things but we're really focusing mostly on plastic components and components that maybe were originally metal or another another material but that you could ideally replace with a plastic 3d printed part can imagine that the performance of plastics is so much lower than that of metals but we are really focusing on what's available and not really going crazy about what the possibilities are out there because those are infinite and there are a lot of materials out there that are, for example, reinforced with fibers or are very high-tech materials that are very expensive, et cetera, et cetera, that could meet very high performance requirements, but they're maybe not available to the public. And, and what kind of repairs can we expect people to be able to do at this moment in time? We start out with aesthetical parts. That's what you can do already, but we are trying to focus on performance parts, as we call it, where we have a certain structural strength or stiffness involved and how to use this kind of PLAs or other plastics as an alternative and then also make redesigns. And that's a little bit more difficult. So right now, our students, we just told them like, well, just look around your house and then see if there's anything that you could repair with 3D printing. And then they went through the process and some of them were successful, some of them weren't. But among this group of of parts, you can find, for example, buttons. So it's very common that you lose a knob or a button for a washing machine or for a microwave. We had a student work on the closing mechanism of a microwave. Then we had bicycle accessories. So... For example, a casing for your bike light that is already loosened up from use, so from wear and tear, parts that hold the grill behind your bike, and simple parts like this, <laughs> your remote control. You know how remote controls always have like this little cap thing for the batteries? That those are the kind of parts that you can <laughs> recreate all the way to a... I had a, one student who worked on the ring that holds the toilet seat. So now, like, there's a whole array of components. But yeah, like Bas said, right now we're focusing on these parts. It's possible to make them through 3D printing, but now we're pushing the boundaries a little bit and trying to see if we can do more and more complex parts and parts that withstand certain forces or certain temperatures. We have put a group of students on one topic, and that's 3D print the complete Philips Senseo. So all the plastic parts in the Philips Senseo, which is a coffee maker, very popular in the Netherlands. And we asked them, well, can you replace all these parts with 3D printable parts? And what are the difficulties you come across? We learned so much by it because parts were involved with temperature differences, mechanical parts. There were some beams in there which had a minimum sort of mechanical structure and mechanical strength needed. And there were some flexible parts which have to be made with PLA, which is hard and tough. So not flexible at all. So how to redesign all these parts for flexibility or how to redesign all these parts for easy to print. So there are very nice parts which have a certain curvature, which is very difficult to print. And why not make them flat? So they made really nice redesigns, how to print fast, how to redesign the parts for 3D printing, etc. And 
I think we have a nice picture of uh, of the Senseo. They didn't fulfill the complete Senseo. They didn't print out the complete Senseo, but at least a, a lot of parts were 3D printed. And I think it's a really nice uh, outcome of that project. I love this. It sort of blows my mind, the possibilities that are there. Even now, like before we get to the, a more advanced stage, you can already do a lot. What are the main difficulties experienced by non-technical people when they're trying to print replacement parts? There's a lot of complexity. There's two options, right? So one option is I need a part. I go into this open source websites where I see if I can find my part. And then if you can find it, they can be either a simple component or a, a very complex component. If you have luck, you already have access to a 3D printer. That's another challenge. Then the next step is how do I prepare my file for the print? Hopefully the file that you find out there in the, in the website comes with recommendations for your printing settings. But if not, then you're just going to have to sort of explore and then hope for the best. And get a print and then learn from that and then maybe have another iteration. So another go and another go until you get the right part. If you don't have a lot of experience 3D printing, you are going to have to acquire that experience very quickly. It's not that hard. I think many of our students went through a workshop where we taught them in three days. They were amazed. And I kept receiving comments from my students being like, I thought 3D printing was very complex and it turned out not to be. So it, it becomes a little bit easier. The other scenario is that you need a part, you go looking for it, and you cannot find it. So then what's the next step? Do you ask for help from somebody who knows how to 3D model and how to 3D print, et cetera, et cetera? Or do you dive into the process yourself? There are softwares out there for people who are not very familiar with computer modeling. There is, for example, Tinkercad. That is even an online platform where you can 3D model things. but most of the limitation is within the knowledge that you have or that you have around you. We use software like SolidWorks. People can also use Onshape or Fusion 360 and even for free if you're somebody who wants to use this uh, software. It's doable, but it could be overwhelming and it also could be very difficult. You can make it yourself very difficult right. if you like. <laughs> right. It, it sounds to me like the experience of people who are making podcasts who have never maybe made audio before. There's a few different kinds of software out there. Some's cheap, some's free, some's complicated. You can get really in depth. You can uh, you can do it very, very basic and find loads of ways to cut corners and cheat. But at the end of the day, it requires you to play. It requires you to make mistakes and just jump in and, and learn by doing Doing. yeah same thing dave it's exactly the same thing i think i've convinced myself i could i could get my head around 3d printing just by saying that i always think oh this stuff this stuff isn't for me i'm not i'm not very good at fixing but now i've seen the the parallel between how i've managed to cobble together a career making audio I, and now i'm like whoa i gotta get myself a 3d printer it really is a trial and error process because even with my own experience and being quite familiar with 3d modeling etc etc I still make a part and it's still not working. And so I have to go back and redesign it or remodel it or reprint it until it works. So it's a trial and error thing for sure. <laughs> I think you did seven iterations, Julieta, with uh, the water kettle. Yeah. She repaired parts of the water kettle 
which is uh, well lo looked like an easy fix, and it took us seven iterations in designing. Which is uh, yeah okay. Yeah. This is what we have to run through. <laughs> we see three D printing a lot in hacker maker circles. What adjustments need to be made in terms of materials and process for three D printing to be utilized at industry standard to fix? complicated devices i think the industry standard uh, 3d printers are available already but they're quite expensive we talk about 100,000 euros printers they are available multi-material high strength but i think that's that's where we have companies uh, who have this as a service they buy bigger machines and they print for you and they can print out metal parts as well We've done a nice project with a company who's making boats and they were investigating whether they can use spare parts which are available on those boats now to make them 3D printable. And, well, they thought about metal printing, but that's rather difficult on a boat because of the waves, as you can imagine. And it's not so simple as FDM printing. But, uh, yeah, why not decentralize stock, for instance? And imagine that there are big storage rooms filled with stock which might not even be sold why not stock your parts in a digital way uh, and then 3d print it when needed because spare parts have to be available in the upcoming future for at least two years so why not as an industry think about stocking your spare parts as a 3d printable file which you print as a service like books are being printed on demand nowadays why not print parts on demand So access to spare parts is one of the barriers that is experienced at restart parties and repair cafes. Do you think that it's realistic to see 3D printing as part of regular practice at community events? I think so. There are some repair cafes and other repair communities that I know already count with 3D printers as part of their tool set. So that's already a, a win. We're trying to generate all of these guidelines to support that process of 3D printing with repair for this specific groups, for this specific communities. You can use a guide if you want to design a part. So if you want to start from scratch, or if you already have a part that you found in an open source database or website, and then you want to 3D print it correctly, we're expecting to count in the future with more people who are designing parts and putting them out there in a database where other people can access them. And then this is going to eventually grow more and more and more. And now other people don't have to go through the whole process, but it really requires a lot of more involvement from the community members and just people starting doing things. Maybe I have to add a disclaimer. <laughs> Sorry to say so, because I truly believe that it's, it's an option. There are some drawbacks also or some hurdles which we have to come across. First of all, it takes a while before a print is printed. I'm not talking about two minutes. I'm talking about maybe an hour for, for a good print. And the bigger the part is, the longer it will take. A second uh, drawback, I think, is that the limitation in performance. So often the part which is replaced is injection molded. So it actually is a very high performance part. And it failed. And it's being replaced by a lower performing material so you can imagine that might even fill faster than the previous version than the original one and we have to be careful with critical parts 
which are important for your safety. So if you replace it by a 3D printer part and it will kill you afterwards because it breaks down and suddenly things got in flames, that might be an issue. And I think we have to be careful with that. That's something which uh, it's already also investigated by the team of uh, within Share Repair. Not only us, but also MMU is working on it and uh, the KU Leuven is working on it. So it's, of course, it's doable, but we have to take into account that yeah, there are some drawbacks. And there are not, not drawbacks, there are some limits. There are limits. It sounds like the best option is to like be as realistic as possible so that we're not doing things that are unsafe, so that we're not fixing somebody's product and then they go away and expect it to work as well as it did before. But also it sounds like there's some other logistical approaches that could be taken, like if people email in advance what parts they're going to want in a, in a repair event, then those can maybe be printed in advance. It sounds like there's workable ways of approaching this, which is really heartening, but it's always important to keep disclaimers in because if we get too optimistic that's when people get so carried away that it it ends up turning people off 3d printing because they can't do what they have hoped to do i just want to add a note on the time that 3d printing takes like you said dave we always tend to have like all of these big expectations of 3d printing solving everything blah 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 but but also we forget what the reality is without 3d printing because if you order a spare part from any website it's there in one to two working days. Or if it's coming from all across the world, then you have to wait for 12 days or maybe even longer. A big draw of the Share Repair project is that it promotes citizen repair at home in addition to just repair businesses and repair cafes. Do you envision a future where 3D printing is available to everyone for repair purposes? It is already available, I think. It's very cheap. A present. It's present, yeah. We lend out 3D printers to our students of maybe 200, 250 euros. Those are amazing printers already there for such a low price and they can even print out more materials than just PLA. There's some very high-end printers of course which cost about three, four thousand euros and you can do much more amazing stuff with that and uh, much bigger parts of that. It's always with technology. Do you want to have a 3D printer at home if you only print out one spare part in a year? I think that's a waste of materials. A couple of years ago, there was a network of people having 3D printers at home. And if you wanted to have something 3D printed, just send it to there. And it was locally, so in the neighborhood, being printed. And I think that can happen. If you build up a network of 3D printers anywhere, I think uh, it's really easy to print it somewhere. And that's what we have with Fab Labs. We have with Repair Cafes maybe having 3D printers. And that makes it already centralized. I've got in my small village where I live, there's a guy who set up a fab lab. And I think we live there with 2,500 people in this village. And there are five 3D printers in the center of the village. So why bother buying my own one if I only want to make spare parts with it? I do believe in the community more than in the individual in this case, because honestly, it just makes you stronger, right? Because within the community, you would have a whole compilation of knowledge. And if you run into a problem, then there's already some people there that you can learn from. And for all of it, I do believe that this should be a community-based initiative, just like Bas said, for making spare parts available, for sharing knowledge, for sharing experiences, for rating what kind of parts are working, what kind of parts are not working, but also making high-quality manufacturing available for everybody because you don't want to 
jump into like, ah, okay, so now we all have this 200 euro or less machines that have a lot of limitations. You want the best possible quality to be available and, and to make sense economically speaking as well. So I am a fair believer of uh, of communities here. That makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, that's the thing. If you're a handy person or you're a fixer, then maybe you want a 3D printer in your home. But like, it's a bit like with printers in general. We can go to a local library or a community center and print out things when we need to print them out if those services remain available but that's a whole different that's a whole different conversation what are you trying to achieve in 3d printing together with academic and other partners as part of share repair my aim will be educating people on how to do this i really would love people to repair stuff more i think that's also one of the focuses of the share repair project to get more people involved in repair just like it was in the 80s, I think. <laughs> I'm, I'm an older guy, so I know. And back then, everything was repaired. And I think it's very common nowadays with people around me that you don't repair, you replace. It's easier to replace, it's cheaper to replace than to repair. And I think this project is just one spoke in the wheel of trying to get people back on repair again. Together with a friend of us in the Netherlands, we're trying to focus on kids, for instance. How to repair with kids and why opening up stuff is so much fun and how much do you learn from it. It should spark that curiosity. And we start out with the kids. We grow up then, I think, also with our students and also with us. And if we are enthusiastic, I think it will spark curiosity with a lot of people around us. Absolutely. A very cheesy remark that it, it really is that information really empowers people to do things. It's true. The more you know and the more information you get and the broader your skill set becomes the more possibilities you open for yourself i think one of the goals is to also just inform people that that you can do this whatever brand your product is even if they tell you that you shouldn't be opening it and the, the spur parts are not available and that you can't and that you're not allowed and that you have to depend on this professional repair services etc etc or that you simply have to buy a new one because it's broken, then I think people are going to realize more and more that there is more to that and that there should be more to that. And that, yeah, today we're trying to repair things with 3D printing, but then I think eventually this is going to put a lot of pressure in companies being like, okay, so people are repairing things anyway. So <laughs> what are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about like putting better products out there in the market and really informing and becoming transparent about whether this product is a cheap product that you're never going to be able to repair or this is a product that is worth its price because you're going to be able to have it for a really long time and also repair it or update it and so on and so on. So I think this also puts a little bit of pressure on manufacturers, hopefully. Yeah, there are some manufacturers who actually already made SDL files or computer files available for 3D printing. Well, not so much spare parts, but add-ons often and i think they're just touching upon this field of 3d printing and they will cross over more to that so there are companies who are open for it and of course there are companies who are not open for it but in the long run i think uh, this will be part of it and this also will be part of the manufacturing process of products i think it's going to happen in the upcoming decades <laughs> That sounds great to me. I mean, I'm not talking about years. Uh, that's that's too little time. I for think. sure. I mean, at the moment as well, years are a very different kind of kettle of fish with the pandemic and things slowing down and things are yeah. all very different from what we're expecting. So yeah, it's better to think in decades rather than, than years at the moment, I think. Is there anything 
that you'd liked to have been asked about 3D printing? I think, uh, and that's with all these kind of things, you need to have fun in doing so. And I think uh, the repair community, as I know it in the repair cafe, People go there not only for fixing their products, they also go there for socializing and meeting up with people. And 3D printing might be one of those things that spark up uh, the youth in coming to repair cafes. And I think introducing new technologies spark their curiosity. I think that's really helped in this. And it could even spark the youth in helping out and making repairs more available. Because I know I learn so much slower than than my kids do. And uh, they're about 10 to 16 years old. And they can do it. They can make it. They can learn such a thing in one week, which which will take me a year, I think. So maybe 3D printers in schools would be a great kind of development. I've tried that one. I took one of the 3D prints from the university school of my kids. After five minutes, uh, a lot of kids just tuned out because... (laughs) It was so slow. It's not about the 3D printing. It's it's about the process of repair, I right, think. Right. And uh, 3D printing could spark, of course, but I think we should introduce them more to repair and the fun of it. And I, I truly be, I'm a truly believer in the, in the word fun and in having fun in your work. And I think you have it as well, Dave. And I, I hope, I think Juliet as well. We have to have fun in doing this and that really will increase the, the impact of it. Baz already mentioned this a little bit, that 3D printing is not magic, that it comes with a process, it comes with a learning curve, it comes with complexity, it comes with a lot of things that sometimes we tend to overlook. So we have very high expectations. And then as soon as those expectations are met immediately, we just eliminate the possibility of 3D printing being useful for this. I think that we we need to keep those things in mind, that it has its limitations and it's a growing thing. There's a lot more to do regarding repair and there's a lot that the community can do and how they can be involved, how they can uh, learn these things and whatnot. And it comes from both sides, from the manufacturers and the policy makers and the people involved, the consumer, you know, and um, yeah, there has to be like this push and pull for a better way and more repairable products to exist. Talking to Bas and Julieta, it seems as if 3D printing has a real role to play in support of the repair economy. The technology is there and new practical uses will continue to emerge. 3D printing isn't a future thing, it's a present thing. And we have to work out the best ways to use it. And so that means it's time to concentrate on helping people to make the most of it. And with the guidance and innovative thinking of people like the team at TU Delft, hopefully this technology will proliferate even further and help repair communities find new ways to tackle repairs that are currently not available to them. At the Restart Project, we particularly like the communal approach we've heard in today's episode. It's exciting to imagine the possibilities that could await repairers and our community, especially at restart parties, once we are able to get together again to fix in person. That excitement needs to be tempered by some realism. We need to keep our expectations accurate and not get too carried away by what we can imagine. But at the same time, the act of imagining things is part of 
of the process of working out how to achieve those things. And it was heartening to me to think about mixing realism and cautiousness with a sense of fun and play. With all of those things together, I'm sure that we will learn ways to get the most from 3D printing, both in our present and in the future. Restart Radio is a show aired on Resonance 104.4 FM and a monthly podcast uploaded to the Restart Project website and found wherever you get your podcasts. As with all episodes of Restart Radio, we'll include links with background information to all of the issues and stories discussed over at the restartproject.org. This episode has used edited versions of 3D printer sounds shared with a Creative Commons attribution license on freesound.org by users H. Chow and Ian McCurdy. The music that you've heard was made with lasers and repurposed electronics and is a collaboration between Opto Noise and Cassini Sound. And big thanks to Restart's communications assistant, Holly, who did the research and planning for this episode. And now it's time to pack up the equipment and say goodbye to each other. Goodbye, everybody.